was up here a while ago. I get up here without writing these down, and I think, what was that one other thing? And that is, Tuesday morning, I want to pray for Aslan, and uh, as she will be having another child this week on Tuesday. So pray for her, and for Desi also. <laughs> Not quite the same, but pray for him anyway, <laughs> and uh, pray for them as, as a new little life comes into the world, and for health and protection during that time for, for them. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to the third chapter of Galatians as we continue our study on freedom in Christ. That is the thrust of this book, freedom in Christ. That is the whole concept that must be grasped, that Paul wants us to see that in Christ you have been set free. You have been given freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from slavery, even freedom from yourself. And tonight he wants to talk about, or we want to look at a portion that he talks about, the law and the problems that arise out of the law and then also the freedom that is given in grace. So the title of the sermon is, is simply that, the law curses us and the gospel sets us free. Now many of us don't think about that. We don't think about the, the curse of the law and, and the law bringing a curse I mean, the law is good. Paul says that in Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8 when he talks about the law. He said, I'm not saying the law is bad. I'm saying the law is good for what the law is good for. But if the law is, if you're trying to make the law something else in your life or use the law for some other purpose in your life than the purpose for which God gave it, then it is a problem and it brings a curse and it brings slavery. Legalism is a form of slavery. When we are bound up by rituals and laws and, and, and do's and don'ts, and we've not been set free by the power of the gospel, that is a form of slavery from which every believer needs to be set free. You know, it, it is a sad commentary when Christians seem to be some of the most miserable people in the world. That's a sad commentary to the gospel. It's a sad commentary when Christians seem to be bound up in so many rigid thoughts that they're not free to express love and free to express grace as God intended. I mean, that is a sad commentary on what Christianity really is. And Paul knows that. And Paul is dealing with a group of people here who are struggling with going back into the law and, and trying to, they, they've trusted Christ, but yet they're, they're not sure and they, they've been told now they, that's good that they trusted Christ, but they really do need to still be diligent to obey the law in every respect, and they find themselves struggling over that. And Paul basically wants to say, quit struggling. Enjoy your freedom. Enjoy your liberty that is given in Christ. I mean, I think if he could shout it, he would in writing. He sort of does in this passage. In verses 10 through 14 of chapter 3, I want you to hear what Paul says and, and hear it carefully. I dare say that these are verses that we don't hear very carefully sometimes. Verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. That's an Old Testament quote, sort of a free translation or free paraphrase by Paul of Deuteronomy 27-26. Now no one is justified by the law before God. That no one is justified by the law before God is evident 
For, and he quotes Habakkuk here, Habakkuk 2.4, For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In, again, an Old Testament citation. In order that, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now there's... There's several very important things I want you to see that the Apostle is talking about here. First of all, I want you to understand this whole concept of the curse. Verse 10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. That many there are people. As many as are of the works of the law. That is, as many as are trying to, to strive and trying to do their very best and trying to make themselves right with God by seeking to obey the law... Paul says they're under a curse. Now, we don't talk a lot about curses in our day and time. I realize that. Matter of fact, uh, when we think of a curse, we tend to think of voodoo or, or witchcraft or, or something along those lines. You know, they put a curse on me, put a hex on me or something. You know, it's sort of seen as, a, as just kind of a voodoo sort of thing, a witchcraft sort of thing. But Paul says curses are not only not of witchcraft and of Voodoo, curses are real. We are, everybody on this earth that is outside of Jesus Christ, everybody that's trying to please God and seek their own righteousness before God, Paul says, it must clearly be understood, he is under a curse. For it's written in the Old Testament, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by, abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. Deuteronomy 27, 26 actually says, Cursed is he who does not conform the works of the uh, excuse me does not conform the works of the law by doing them, and all the people are supposed to say amen after that, because the Old Testament said, listen, if you don't want to be cursed, then your life must be conformed to the law in perfection. You must obey the law perfectly. One little disobedience, one little slip up, one little error, one little sin invalidates everything good you ever wanted to do. You cannot live in a life depending on the law to make you right with God. Everyone who tries to do that is the subject of a curse, Paul says. And the Old Testament says the same thing. Because it, we recognize that it's evident that no one is justified by the law before God. Now, that's Habakkuk 2.4. Habakkuk said there, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. The proud one is the one who says, I'm obeying God. I'm doing what I can for my salvation. I'm making myself right with God. He said, everyone that's like that, his soul is not right within him. But here's the key. The righteous shall live by his faith or by her faith. That's an important concept that's not just a gospel concept as far as just the New Testament goes. That's a, a concept and a truth that goes back to the very beginning. 
The law, I hammer this home because we Baptists need to hear it. The law was not given to help you be right with God. The law was given to show you how incapable you are of being right with God in your own strength. That's vital that you understand that, that we understand that. So what Paul is saying here in this passage we're looking at tonight, built on what we looked at last week, that Paul showed that even Abraham was justified by faith. It wasn't... It wasn't his works, it wasn't his circumcision, it wasn't his obedience to the law. Even Abraham was justified by believing God, by faith in what God had to say. So the central thought tonight is simply this, is that Christ acted as our representative and our substitute, taking upon himself the penalty that is due for our sin. That's what he's saying in these verses that I just got through reading. It's pointing to this fact that Christ is the only one that can do this because Christ is the only one who lived a perfect life. I, I like what Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He said, He made Him, that is God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. He took the sinless, perfect Christ, the one who Peter said, had no blemish and no guile and no deformity and no disobedience, no sin, the perfect sinless Christ, and he made him sin in order that we who had no righteousness of our own might become the very righteousness of God, not on our own, but might become the very righteousness of God in him. That little in him is significant, folks, because it's in Christ that we have our righteousness. It's in Christ that we are clothed with righteousness. It's in Christ that we stand before God as though we were covered in the person of Jesus Christ. So important. Or in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, where the Apostle Paul said this, he said, but by His doing, you are in Christ. By God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification, and redemption. This is what it is. God has done this in your life. If you are in Christ, he, He's made Christ for you. Wisdom from Him, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. And then He goes on the next verse and says, So that as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord, and in the Lord only. Paul will say later in this book, I will glory only in the cross of Christ. I won't glory in my works or my goodness or my... I will only boast and glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. Jeremiah dealt with that in the Old Testament when he said in Jeremiah 9, 23 through 25, he said, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. And let not the mighty man boast of his might. And let not the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and he knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will punish. Listen to this now. Listen carefully to this statement. The day is coming, says the Lord, declares the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised and yet 
uncircumcised. What? In other words, all those who have just done rituals and have never had a circumcision of heart, have never had a change of heart, all those who have just tried to go by every step of the law and tried to make themselves good enough for God, God says, someday I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punish them. Because they didn't understand me. They thought they were still boasting in what they could do and what they had done. And then again in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 17 and 18, Paul says, But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. So all through this, Paul is saying, if you're trying to live by the law, here's what you're trying to do. You're trying to commend yourself to God. You're basically saying, God, here's my resume. And I want you to know, God, I've worked hard. I've done things. I've, I've been as good as I could. I've sought to obey your law and sought to live out the Beatitudes. I've sought to look at the golden rule and live by it. Lord, I've done everything. And there's, here's my resume for all that I've done. What do you think, Lord? And he doesn't think much of that. Paul says it's not those who commend themselves to God that are accepted, but it's, uh, that, is a pr that are approved, but he whom the Lord commends. You know, on that day, you know what that day is I'm talking about? The day when all things come to an end and we stand before the judgment of Christ. I don't want to stand there and say, Lord, I pastored Grace Baptist for you. Lord, I, I did all this for you. Lord, it, it, did you see those? Did you hear those sermons? I had them on the internet. You could listen to them anytime you wanted to. Weren't they good, Lord? I don't want to do that because that's not worth anything. What I want is the Lord Jesus Christ standing right there next to me and saying, Father, he's one of mine. I bought him. I paid for him. I redeemed him. I put my spirit in him. Father, this one belongs to us. Oh, that's what Paul's talking about. But when we're living by the law, when we're trying harder and trying to be better and trying to do better, when we're just striving in our own strength to please God, Paul says you're trying to commend yourself and you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand justification by faith alone and you're trying to boast in your own works. There's at least three things that in these last two verses that Paul makes clear. Well, there's several things. One, you know, verse 12, before we get in 13 and 14, it's kind of a summation. Verse 12 says, however, the law is not of faith. You say, well, I believe, I believe in Christ, but I also believe I've got I to obey the law to make him happy. Paul says, the law is not of faith, and only faith pleases God. You know, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. That is, if you're going to try to do the law, you've got to do them perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. And the scripture is very clear and experience is very clear that we see that none of us do that. So he comes to those last two verses. He said, if you're trying to live by the law, you're under a curse. If you're trying to live by the law, you don't understand the gospel. If you're trying to live by the law, you're trying to commend yourself to God rather than having the Lord commend you. So what's the problem? Or what's the, what's the solution? There are three matters that you can observe in these last two verses. The first one is in the first part of 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Just a statement of fact. You are under the curse of the law. I don't care who you are or who you were. When you are outside of Christ, you are a cursed, a condemned man or woman. And anybody that's outside of, the, outside of Christ today, I don't care how good they appear, how many good works they do, if they're not in Christ, they are under the curse of the law. That's not Bill Haynes. It's not my opinion. That's what God says. He says it very clearly. So Paul says, here's the first fact. That those who are in Christ, he has redeemed them from the curse of the law. You're no longer under a curse. You no longer have to try to please God in your own strength. And he's going to tell us why in just a minute. Second observation I want you to see is in the second half. And that is because Christ became a curse from a, for us. That's how he accomplished this deliverance. He accomplished this deliverance by being made a curse for us. And the scripture says, Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. Everyone that hangs on a tree is cursed. That was a, that was a form of punishment for a condemned and cursed individual. And Christ hung on a tree when he hung on the cross. He became a curse at that moment. He who knew no sin, he who had no, no smidgen of sin within himself, not even, not even a little bit of sin, because he was perfect. He was God incarnate. He became sin. He took upon himself the sins of all his people, and he bore them there on the cross. The fact is he redeemed us from the curse the way he did it, brought about this deliverance was by being made a curse for us. And then finally Paul says, here's the purpose of Christ's redemptive deed, Christ's redemptive act on the cross. In order that, and notice there, there are two that's in this last verse, two distinct, if you will, purpose clauses. He says here, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I wish I could, uh, I'm not even trying to go there. I'm trying to remember a Greek word and I can't bring it. In order that. Henna. Thank you. I knew my scholar over here, my associate research specialist on a drop could do it. Henna. It's a word that just simply means in order that. It's a purpose statement. It's saying, listen, this is why he did it. This is why he did it. And there are two things there. He says, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. This idea of redeeming us from the curse was done so that you and I, or at least the great preponderance of us in this room tonight, could receive the blessing of Abraham. The blessing of Abraham. What is the blessing of Abraham? Faith? Any other renditions? Justification by faith. Exactly. That we might receive that blessing of Abraham to stand before God justified, declared to be a child of his, not guilty, even though we were guilty. By faith for Gentiles, for us 
who didn't have the law, didn't have the prophets, didn't have the, the rituals, didn't have all the sacrifices. But we would have the true sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ himself, who is and was the perfect Lamb of God offered on our behalf. So Paul says, here's the first, here, here's the first reason that we might receive the blessing of Abraham through Christ, in Christ, justification by faith. And then there's a second thing he says here. So that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now the so that in that one, I believe, is talking about not just the Gentiles. The first half, just Gentiles. You can, we can receive now the blessing of Abraham. But now you come to the second half, and the we there, that we, and the we there I think is Jews and Gentiles. He did His work on the cross that we, both Jews and Gentiles, might receive the promise of the Spirit or the promised Spirit through faith. That's one of the great blessings of justification by faith. That not only do we get the declaration from God, but we receive the Spirit that was promised, the Holy Spirit of promise that Paul will talk about to the Ephesian Christians as being our surety, our down payment, our declaration that we belong to Him, that will be our seal, that will seal us under the day of redemption, that will seal us and work in our hearts and bring about, bring about sanctification, bring about purification in everywhere of our life because He's there, present, every day. And when sin enters in, the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 that's sin. It's not a matter of law. It's a matter of the indwelling Spirit of God. That's a part of being set free from the curse. That's a part of being redeemed from the curse. That we Gentiles might have justification by faith and that all who believe on the name of Jesus Christ, Jews and Gentiles, might have the promise of the Spirit. You see, I don't know if you're getting this or not. I hope you're seeing the pattern here. But all through this book of Galatians, and we could go to others at Romans and do it too. Right, we'll do some parallel in two weeks from tonight on Romans with some of this. But, but as you go through this, you, you come to see that for Paul, this concept of justification by faith alone is the linchpin of the Christian faith. That's why hundreds of years later, 1,500 years later, after Paul wrote this, that little monk was in the, the, the uh, chapel tower at Wittenberg. And he was standing there at a desk much like this, except it had a Bible on it that was chained to the desk because you couldn't take the Bible out. Only the monks and the priests could look at it and it was chained there so it would stay at that desk. And that young monk, Martin Luther, stood there and he read Romans 1, 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Greek, and, and it says that the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. And then he did a little cross-reference probably back over to Habakkuk, and he saw there that there Habakkuk, the Old Testament prophet, said in chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous man, the righteous woman, shall live by faith. And then he went back to Galatians, and he said, whoa, Paul brings that up again. For, for the righteous man shall live by faith. I mean, this is the heart of the gospel. And when the Reformation came, 
It came because Luther, out of all of his ritual, out of all of his, uh, all of the, the, the baggage that had come along with Catholicism that day, especially the, the uh, indulgences, and Luther said, that's just not in the Scripture. The Scripture says, the righteous man shall live by faith. And, and it exploded on the scene, and others caught hold of it. And for the church to be restored in the, in the 21st century to what God intends for His church to be, we've got to grasp that truth with the same joy and the same diligence that the Apostle Paul did, that Martin Luther did. The just shall live by faith alone. Now, I can hear your minds working out there. I hope I can. I hope that's what I hear. It's not just marbles rattling around. Aren't we to live a good life? Aren't we to live a life of obedience? Yes. But it's a whole different motivation. It's not out of duty. It's not out of trying to... Uh, trying to make God happy with me and please God, but it's out of delight. God, you've done this in my life. How can I not obey you? You've given me your spirit to indwell in me, and that spirit works within me to bring about obedience. How can I not obey you? How can I not trust you for every area of my life? You see, we've lived for too long, I think, in the contemporary church with this, this clashing that just cannot get resolved, that I trust Jesus, but I've, I've got to get the Ten Commandments down right. And I've got to try to check them off every day. And, and maybe there's another one in there too. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbors yourself. And all those are important. But they're not important to try to please God. Walking with Christ by faith pleases God. Walking with Christ by faith and letting Him work out the issues by His presence and by His power. That's what the Christian life is all about. Paul wants us to understand that so badly. Paul wants us to learn to walk in that because there's freedom. There's freedom in walking in that. There's joy in walking in that. Dare I say there's excitement in knowing and walking in that truth. You know, there's a lot more we could say about that issue. John MacArthur says when a preacher says there's a lot more that can be said about that, it means he's said all he knows to say. And that's probably true. But... Um, you know, I, I, I just really feel like, and, and someone asked me last week after the sermon, where are, the, where are there people, where are there churches that teach works? Are there anywhere? Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't have to throw a rock very far to find them. You know, one of the biggest complaints at the former church we were at was that I just... I just talked too much about grace and that I didn't, I didn't talk enough about law and, and, and obedience. And, and, some, and, you know, that was, there's a lot of that that's still here across the board in America, and it's growing, I'm afraid. 
when we need to see that the gospel is the gospel of God's grace. And we need to receive that grace. Grace. We need to live in that grace. And we need to be able to share that grace and be graceful in doing it. Well, we'll talk more about it in two weeks. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you tonight that we can come together and that the Apostle Paul can just reinforce and reinforce and reinforce this important great truth. The just shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Righteous because of you putting your righteousness in us. And then we walk by faith. Father, help us to grasp it. Help us to learn it. Help us to live it. For this is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.